welcome you again. It's a great joy to be here with you all and minister God's word to you as we continue our series through Journey Through the Bible. Uh, let me invite you to uh, pray with me together one more time before we begin. Father, we ask for grace, help, and strength now by the power of your Holy Spirit to minister to us, God. We pray with the young boy, Samuel, when he said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Whatever you have to say, God, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe, trust, and obey. Lord, we just, we want to please you. We want to exalt you. We want to make much of you. Help us, God, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Our journey through the Bible has taken us through the biblical storyline from creation to fall through the entire history of Israel and the Jews received the old covenant at Mount Sinai. But, of course, they broke the covenant, the old covenant, and they were exiled from the land of promise. But, as we talked about a few weeks ago, the prophets also prophesied of a new covenant, a better covenant, a covenant where God would write his law on our hearts, a covenant established by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But now in our story, Christ has come. He has lived. He has died. He has risen from the dead. And he ascends into heaven. So the question is, what happens next? What now? What do we do? Is it the end? What is our mission? And how do we fulfill it while we await the return of our Savior? That's what I want to discuss this morning from God's Word. So now, if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. From Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The Word of God, you may be seated. I want to see three, three things from our passage and from the book of Acts this morning concerning the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Spirit, our promise. Number two, the Spirit, our power. And number three, the Spirit, our pilot. The Spirit, our promise. The Spirit, our power. And the Spirit, our pilot. First, number one, the Spirit, our promise. In these opening book of Acts, um, Luke, again, so Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and they're really best viewed as one, one two-volume work. And so he begins in Acts, uh, in Luke, to talk about all that Jesus had, 
said and done until the days that he was taken up. And then the book of Acts records what happened afterwards, the, the, the life and ministry of the early church, specifically the ministries of Peter and Paul. And he told them, uh, Jesus, he, he writes, told them that they were to, before he departed, that the, the apostles were to stay in Jerusalem. And it, it says there in verse 4, it says to wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the promise of the Father. That is that they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So we see the Spirit is understood by Christ to be God's promise. That God had promised the Spirit to come and to fill them. And so what that means is that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was not just some kind of random or, you know, insignificant event. The, pour, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church is a, is a, is a huge event, reality, uh, part of the, our redemptive history. It is the application of the work of Christ. His death and resurrection to the hearts of His people by the power of His Holy Spirit is the continuation of Jesus' ministry. Because Jesus said, I will be with you always to the end of the age. How? By the Spirit. That's how. So the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not just incidental. It's, it's huge. It's the, it's the next grand step in redemptive history. It marks the beginning of a new age where God is making the world new again by the power of His Spirit. The Spirit was a promise. It was the promised Spirit. Consider the beginning of Israel's history as a nation after they were delivered from slavery in Egypt by the hand of Moses, and they received the Old Covenant, the law, at Mount Sinai. And right after they left Mount Sinai, the people grumbled and complained about the manna. They complained about bread from heaven. And they wanted meat to eat. And Moses basically tells God, says, God, are you trying to kill me by putting me in charge of this people? And this is, what number, this is what it says in Numbers 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you, and I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you, and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it alone." This could be a parable for the church, folks. There should be, one more, there should be more than one spirit-filled person in a church. Leaders, godly, holy, faithful men filled with the spirit, seeking to lead God's people. Now, what happens after this? In Numbers eleven twenty-six, 26, it says, Now two of them, that's two of the elders, they remained in the camp. One named Eldad, the other named Medad. And the Spirit rested on them, and they were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his Spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. You see what's going on in this narrative. The people of Israel, they were circumcised in flesh, but they were not circumcised in heart. 
They're grumbling and complaining. An ungrateful, rebellious, stiff-necked people. They had the law, but that's about all they had. They didn't have the spirit. And Moses here is, is, is prophetic in his, in his complaint against the people, saying, would that God would give his spirit to all of them. Little did he know, that's what God was going to do. And that's what makes the new covenant different than the old covenant. Because in the old covenant, not everybody had the spirit. But in the new covenant, we all receive the spirit by faith in Christ. And that's what it prophesied about. As we talked about in the new covenant, in Ezekiel 36, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. You see, that was the problem with the old covenant is that it, it showed us what righteousness looked like, but it gave us no power to live righteously. Why? Because we're intractably sinful. Don't you feel it? We can't be good apart from God. Apart from God, we're enslaved to our sin. We love our sin. We don't want to give it up. Apart from the, apart from the Spirit of God, every person who's in their sin, they don't want to give it up. That's why when you, talk to, when you share Christ with other people and you just feel like you're beating your head against the wall. Why? Because they love their sin. They love it. And so did I and so did you. Before God opened our hearts to see. And Ezekiel, in the passage we just read, Ezekiel is a, is a, prophet, is a prophet during the exile. The, the Jews had already been exiled for their breaking of the covenant. But Ezekiel is prophesying during the time of the exile saying a new covenant is coming, a better covenant. A covenant where the law is just not outside of you, but it's actually written on your heart by God himself, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is a promise, and that's what Joel in Joel 2 prophesied. It says, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was not just an isolated, insignificant event. It was the next major step in redemptive history, is the fulfillment of the new covenant. The new covenant was inaugurated through Christ's blood, through the shedding of his blood. And the new covenant is applied to the hearts of the people by the power of the Holy Spirit to, to overcome the shortcomings of the old covenant. It came, the Spirit is poured out as the full and final way of dealing with man's greatest problems. The ultimate means of reconciling sinful man to a holy God is filling sinful man with the Holy Spirit. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we're saved, we're changed, we're made new. Why? Because now God lives in us. He makes us new. Behold, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. They were to wait for this promise of the Spirit. So number one, the Spirit is our promise. Number two, the Spirit is our power. The Spirit, our power. In, in the very next verses there in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, it says, When they had come together... They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but 
you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And that's precisely what happened, isn't it? A short time later in Acts chapter 2 verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So Jesus affirmed that the Holy Spirit would be their source of spiritual power. So we see that apart from, the Holy, apart from the Holy Spirit, we don't have the power to do what God wants us to do, calls us to do, asks us to do. But because we have the Holy Spirit, we do have the power to do what God has called us to do. And that's the key. What kind of power does the Spirit give us? I want to just talk about several things here. Number one, or letter A, the Spirit gives us power for witness. Right there in verse 8, Acts 1-8, it says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So here we have the clear indication that the apostles and by implication the church would receive power by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of the resurrection. Of course, the apostles were that in a special sense. They were specially commissioned eyewitnesses by Jesus Christ himself to lay the foundation of the early church. But by virtue of having believed their testimony, we too now become witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit, being able to testify to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that he works in us. And this one verse really unlocks the whole book of Acts because really this this verse gives us the framework of the entire book, right? Because uh, Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Well, what's the book of Acts about? It's about the Holy Spirit coming down. They receive the Holy Spirit. And then what happens? Peter stands up and preaches the sermon in the power of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people get saved. In where? In Jerusalem. And then what happens next? Well, then persecution happens and they spread out. And then people, somebody goes to Samaria. And preaches the gospel in Samaria. And then people in Samaria get saved. And then the rest of the book is about the Apostle Paul going to where? To the whole rest of the known Roman world. Preaching the gospel and people being saved. So this one verse interprets the entire book of Acts. That has everywhere, that everywhere where people were filled with the Spirit. And walked in the power of the Spirit of God. Christ was made known and people got saved. And by the way, the book of Acts isn't over. <laughs> It's 2,000 years in the making. The history of the church is still being written. And we're part of it. So the Holy Spirit is power to witness. You see, Jesus told them, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now remember, he's telling that to 11 men... On a mountain, right? And he's telling them this commission that he has for them. And so just think, you're a, you know, you're a fisherman from Galilee. And there's 11 of you. And Jesus tells you, I want you to make disciples of every nation. You would think, 
Jesus, are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? How can we make disciples of all nations? Well, you would say, well, we're powerless. We're powerless to do that. It's too great a task. But Jesus says, not so. Why? Because I will give you my spirit. Because I will give you my power. Because you may be powerless, but all authority in heaven on earth belongs to me. And I'm going to give it to you. And so it's time for you to get over yourself and start believing in me. In my power to work through you to make me known to the world. We have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the power. You say, Pastor, I don't feel very courageous in my witness. Well, remember, courageous, being courageous doesn't mean you have no fear. Being courageous means doing what you know is right in spite of your fears. If you wait till you're not afraid to share the gospel, you will never share the gospel. I promise you. But if you say, I know that I can't do it, but he who lives in me is greater than he who is in the world then therefore I no longer have an excuse because the Holy Spirit of the living God lives in me so I can go across and say, invite that person to church. I can walk over and talk to this person and say, do you know my Lord? I can go over and ask this person, if a man rose from the dead, would it make a difference in your life? You can do it. By the power of your Holy Spirit, you can do it. We've been talking about your one. Who's your one? One person. One person for Christ. Can you reach one person for Christ? Can you? I don't know. Does God live in you? I think he can. I think he can. I think he lives in you. If you're a believer in Christ, he does. And God is in the business of saving people. And for 2,000 years, he's been in the business of using people just like you and me to do it. Pray, ask God for strength, ask God for power. And, and, ask, and, and, and then, you see, Nike got it right for once. Just do it. Just do it. You excuse yourselves to death. Just do it. Don't just, sometimes it's helpful not to think about it. Your sinful flesh is going to try to keep you from sharing the gospel. The devil is going to try to keep you to share the gospel. The, the, but the, you got the spirit. So stop listening to everything else for one second and just say, I know it's right to do. The devil's not the one who's going to be telling you to go share the gospel with someone. So if, the, if you're prompted to do that, it's God telling you to do it. Just do it and see what happens. In 2 Timothy 1, Paul told Timothy, a timid young man, this. He said, for this reason, I remind you to fan in the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. You got nothing to be ashamed of, folks. A man has risen from the dead. He's coming back. You got nothing to be ashamed of. Don't be ashamed of your Savior. Own Him. Wear Him on your sleeve. Be known as that crazy Jesus person if you have to be. Who cares? What else do you want to be known as? As a man who really believes in what he says he believes? 
Fan into flame the Spirit. Plan your witness. Work at it. Set a time that you're going to do it. Pray about it and then make it happen. Right? Sometimes we... Look, you plan your vacations. You plan your finances. You plan your kids' education. All those things won't last. Plan your witness. Make time. Set time aside. Say, I'm going to talk to this person on this day. This person over here, I see this need. I'm going to, make, I'm going to see that need, and I'm going to meet it, and I'm going to do it. Plan, work, act, think for God, and see what he does. You see, when you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit shows up. And things begin to happen. And people begin being moved by God and drawn to Him because they see the Spirit in you. The Spirit is powerful witness. Let it be. The Spirit gives us courage in the face of persecution. Acts 7.54. This is, this is when they're stoning Stephen, the first martyr. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he... Full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. You see... Part of the power that God gives us in the powerful witness is also the power to endure in the face of suffering and in the face of persecution. You see, when you receive power to proclaim Christ and to be bold for Christ, the devil doesn't like that. So you can be sure that when you start obeying, see, lots of people get it backwards. They think if I, if I start obeying God, if I, I've heard people say this, it, I came to Christ and then all these bad things happened to me. Of course it did. That's the devil's job. If you're coming to God, then he's going to make it as hard on you as he possibly can if you're trying to obey God and step out in faith. Opposition when you're walking in the Holy Spirit is a sign that you're doing the right thing. But God, but he gives us power. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, was not afraid when he saw that what? That he was going to be stoned to death for the sake of Christ. Why? Because he looked up in heaven and saw what? His Savior standing at the right hand of God. Doing what? Waiting to welcome him home. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of stoning How much less do you have to be afraid of someone thinking, oh, that was an awkward conversation. Oh, I can't believe he talked about that. I can't can't go over there and talk to them. You got nothing to be afraid of. Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. And the second you call out to him, he's going to pour out his strength and his power upon you. But you know what? You will never see God's power hold you up until you step out of the boat. If you stay safely, if you stay safely in the place where you're doing everything in your own strength, then the only things you're going to see done are things that you can do. But if you step out of the boat and put yourself in a position where if God doesn't show up, you're going to fall flat on your face. But guess what? When you trust in God's power, you see things done that only God can do. 
question is, do you want it? Do you want to be used by him? Powerful witness, power for endurance. Let us see. The spirit is the power to love. Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see that? The Spirit gives us power to love, right? The church, the church is to be a peculiar people, the Bible says. Unusual, strange, right? They, they love people there. It's supposed to be weird. The, the Spirit gives us the power to do things that are unexplainable in the eyes of the world. Remember, Jesus, Jesus said, don't love those who just love you back. Why? Because even sinners do that. Anybody with a sin nature can love people who love them back. But if you have the Holy Spirit, then guess what? You can love people who don't love you back. And that doesn't make sense to a lost world. You can forgive even when people treat you wrongly. You can refuse to hold bitterness and anger in your heart and and brood on it and let it just fester. You can love even when you're not being loved in return. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. And will we have the audacity to say, I'm forgiven by the love of my Savior, but I refuse to love like he loved? Or will we say, no, the Spirit of God lives in me, so I'm going to love, even when it hurts. I'm going to love, even when it costs me to love. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. It cost him to love. He didn't, he didn't look at the cost of the love, which was way higher than any cost we had to pay. He didn't look and say, that cost is too high. He looked at it and says, for the sake... For the will of my Father, I'm going to embrace this cost and I'm going to pay it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We do have this power by the Holy Spirit to love. Don't say you don't. I want to never hear a Christian say, I can't love that person. Those words should never come out of your lips. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives in you. God made that person. You got a problem with that person? Well, you you can go and you can talk to God about it. But guess what? That person belongs to God. And so do you. We do have the power to love. We do have the power to sacrifice. We do have the power to love so incredibly and sacrificially and supernaturally that it makes people looking in saying, what's going on in there? What's happening over there? It's crazy. They actually get along in a Baptist church. The Holy Spirit must have fell. Oh, God, let it fall. Next power, the Spirit. We have the power by the Spirit, letter D, to put sin to death. To put sin to death. Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see that? The Spirit gives us power to put sin to death. In Romans 6, Paul says that sin will no longer have dominion over you. So a Christian then is someone who has been freed from our enslavement to sin. Why? We're set free from the power of sin. 
Paul in another place says that there is no temptation except which is common to man. And God always gives us a way of escape so that we may escape from it. In, in, other, words, in other words, you don't have to sin. You see, I fear sometimes in Christian life, we say true things like, true things like, well, nobody's perfect. And that's true. But I fear sometimes we say that to excuse our faults that we don't want to deal with. I really do fear that happens. But as we battle temptation, we cannot give into the lie. We cannot give into the lies that we tell ourselves like, well, I'm just like that. Or, you know, I, I couldn't help myself. That's not true. You could help yourself if you're a follower of Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. If you will look for the way of escape, it is always there. You don't have to sin. You don't have to sin. You can fight it. You can put sin to death. You can avoid tempting situations. You can ask people to hold you accountable. You can, when those thoughts come into your mind, the lust for, the sin for, the bitter, the angry thoughts, you can say, no, I will not think about that. I will fill my mind with truth instead. You can fight sin. You can put it to death. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives in you. And letter E... We have, the Spirit is our power to bear new qualities of character. To bear new qualities of character. Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You see, the Spirit changes us. He says, if those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires... What's the crucifixion? It's killing. It's violent murder. My old self has been violently killed so that a new person can live in me. And how does that work? It's by the Spirit. It's the fruit that the Spirit bears in our lives. The Spirit does give us power to become new people, to bear new fruit in our lives. By the Holy Spirit, we can, must be loving people. Joyful people, peaceful people, patient people. Again, I just I fear that people people say things like, "Well, I'm just not like that," or "My mom was, oh, my dad was like that. That's why I'm like that." You gonna tell that to God? Well, my dad was like that. Well, God's gonna say, "Why were you like that? You didn't have to be like that. You don't have to be like your daddy." You don't have to be a certain way just because you think that's the way it is. Why? Because the Spirit gives us power to bear new, bear new characters, qualities of character in our lives. We can be loving. And when you don't feel loving, cry out, God, help me by your Spirit. You can be joyful. You can be peaceful. You can be patient by the power of the Spirit as He bears new 
works of, and, and bears new fruit in your life and where you see it not growing as it ought to be, you can cry out to God and say, God, help me put this sin to death. And God, work by your spirit in me to bear this quality of help me be more kind. Help me be more patient and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled. God, help me. And he will. He will. We cannot give into this worldly fatalism that just says, I am what I am and that's just how it's going to be. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God has changed people, the entire history of human, of the, of the, the, the entire human history, and he's not stopping now. If his spirit lives in you, don't tell God that his spirit can't fix your flaws. God's in control. God's spirit is powerful. No, you can't do it on your own, but guess what? The spirit lives in you, and he is able to strengthen you and to help you and to bear this new fruit in your life so that, so that people will come to you and say, my goodness, something's different about you. And at that point, all you can say is, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. He's made me new. Give glory to God. So the Spirit is our promise. Number one, the Spirit is our power. Number two, and number three, the Spirit, our pilot. The Spirit leads us in our lives. The Spirit guides us. You see, one of the fundamental ways to think about Christianity is it's a change. It's a change of the pilot in your life. You get out the seat and you let God... Jesus take the wheel, right? But that's just not something we do occasionally. That's something we do. We do it at conversion and we do it every day. Lord, you're in control, not me. I'm yours for you to do what you want to do with me. Make me a willing vessel to be used by you. Be my pilot. Some examples of this from Acts, Acts 8.29. Fear it. Philip here, walking in the Spirit. It said, and the Spirit told him, go over and join this chariot. Man, don't you want to live that kind of life? You're walking down the street and you just, you just feel that prompting. Go over there and do that. Acts 20, 22-24. Paul says, and now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions awake me, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You see, the Spirit leads and guides us in our lives. He directs us. It may not be, you know, most of the time it's not an audible voice. <laughs> but the Spirit, as you're walking in the Spirit, and as, you, and as you're walking with clean hands and a pure heart before the Lord, and as you confess all known sin and say, God, I want to be used by you, and you wake up in the morning and say, God, use me today. God, lead me today. God, guide me today. He will. And, he apply, and the Spirit applies the truth of the Word of God in our hearts. 
And so that's important too. The Spirit never contradicts God's Word. So we can't just blindly call every thought that pops into our mind leadership of the Holy Spirit. So you can go on the other side of things. I've heard people say, well, God told me this, and I was thinking, I'm pretty sure God didn't tell you that. The Spirit never contradicts God's Word because the Spirit wrote the Bible. But if we're walking in the Spirit, the Spirit will lead us, and the Spirit will guide us. I was talking to somebody recently who I've had a conversation for, with before about Christ. And I, was, and I saw him again, and I was thinking, you know, okay, how am, I, how am I going to try to start a conversation with him? You know, I want to talk to him about the Lord. What am I going to do? And, and, I, and I thought, well, I'm just going to ask how I can pray for him. Well, goes on, and then before I could even kind of start, start the conversation, he looks at me and says, there's something I want to tell you. I was at work the other day, and this, this person, by the way, is a, he had told me before, prior, he said he's a, a skeptic, self-avowed skeptic. He said, I want to tell you something. I was at work the other day, and someone walked into my office and said, I'm sorry, you know, this is kind of weird, but I just felt like God told me to come in here and talk to a skeptic. When God tells you to do something, just do it. Because let me tell you something. You don't know what he's working. You don't know how many strings he's pulling. You don't know how many lines he's drawing. And if you obey him, you might find yourself part of a picture that you didn't even know was being, being drawn, being written. Something so amazing, something so beautiful. He's pulling the strings, and he's going to get you in the right place at the right time to be that his instrument to be used by him. When God tells you to do something, just do it. Believe, trust, obey, and he'll work. He's working. When you feel that, when you feel like you should pray for someone, stop right then and pray for them. If you're talking with someone and they ask you to pray for them, stop right then and just say, well, let's pray right now about it. If, if, you, if, you, if someone is on your heart and mind and you think, I need to talk to that person, would you call them right then if you have to. Schedule a time and just and make it happen. You don't, you don't have to think. You, you really, most of the time, we overthink. You don't have to think about stuff like that. Because I, I really don't think the devil is going to be telling you to pray for somebody. Or to share Christ with somebody. Just, if you're not sure, just say, if it is consistent with God's word, then just do it. God's always going to honor obedience. God does amazing things when we just listen to his voice. When we let when we let him be our pilot. And so we have the spirit, our promise, the spirit, our power, the spirit, our pilot. We see the spirit, the coming of the spirit was the fulfillment of an incredible promise. You see, we have what the old covenant folks didn't have. We have the spirit. We don't have to complain about bread that came down from heaven. We can thank God for all that he's given us that we don't deserve. And God has poured out his spirit in the last days, leading and guiding and prompting us to live bold lives of proclamation for him. So why not pray this week? Why not pray right now and ask God, God, I want you to use me this week. 
I want you to prompt me this week. I want you to show me something I can do, someone I could talk to this week. God, I just want you to open that door for me this week and see what happens. And if God shows up, I want you to tell me about it. I believe when we walk in the Spirit, God shows up. And of course, all this only can make sense to you if the Spirit of God dwells in you. And we receive the Spirit through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you don't know Christ this morning, and you want to live this life that you were made to live in the fullness of the Spirit, it's remarkably easy. Call on the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. Turn from your sins. Believe in Christ, who lived, who died, who rose again, who is coming back to redeem his saints and to take us with himself forever. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Let's pray. Thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for your word.